Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Out of reverence for the reading of God's word, As he was making his defense this way, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, You're out of your mind, Paul. Too much study is driving you mad. But Paul replied, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I'm speaking words of truth and good judgment. For the king knows about these matters. It is to him that I am actually speaking boldly, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his notice. Since this was not done in a corner, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? I wish before God, replied Paul, that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you, but all who listen to me today might become as I am, except for these chains. So the king, the governor, Bernice, and those sitting with them got up. And when they had left, they talked with each other and said, This man is doing nothing that deserves death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been released if he had not appealed to Caesar. Father, thank you, Lord, this morning again for this privilege we have to read your word. God, I pray you'd lay bare our hearts, Father, with any preconceived intentions, Father, anything that needs to be dealt with, Lord, bring it to the forefront so that we may allow your word to speak to whatever needs we may have, conviction, encouragement, challenging us, Father, to a greater commitment to you, all in the great ability, Father, for you to transform us greater into your likeness so that we can leave here and be lighthouses to the lost, broken, and dying world. Father, hide me behind the cross today, Lord, so that the power of the Holy Spirit may move as only you can. We commit all this to you, and we ask it in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so verses 24 through 27, again, as he was making his defense this way, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, you're out of your mind, Paul. Too much study is driving you mad. Paul replied, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I'm speaking words of truth and good judgment. The king knows about these matters. It is to him that I'm actually speaking boldly, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his notice, since this was not done in any corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. First thing that I want to share with you comes out of those verses this morning, and it is this. The world will think you are crazy. The world will think I'm crazy. When you and I start talking about what God's doing in our life, when you and I start talking about the Holy Spirit comforting us and strengthening us, remember many, many cases when it's someone who's not become a believer yet, you're talking about polar opposite worlds. You're talking about something that they can't understand. They will think that we are crazy, that we're out of our minds. Remember at Pentecost, what did they think about them? Thought they were drunk. They were indwelled by the power of the Spirit for the first time in history a full-time indwelling of the power of the Holy Spirit was occurring, and to the world, you look crazy. 
What we talk about, God speaking to us, God moving in our lives, God's provision, this is not to the world a normal thing, is it? So you can't take offense to that. It's easy to do that, especially, again, in this generation of wearing our feelings on our sleeves. The first thing that, what do you think, I'm crazy? What what are you calling me? Well, then you shut your mission field down because that person's like, whoa, did I hit a nerve there? As a matter of fact, I'll give you a really good response when they say that. Yeah, I'm crazy, crazy about Jesus. I'm crazy about the God that loves me so much that he sent his son to die and pay a price that I could never pay, and it leaves me in awe of the love of God. And yes, I'm crazy about the love of God because it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Let that be not an insult. Let that be a badge of honor to be called crazy for what we are as Christians. You hear the things that people say. If you have ears to hear, you've heard the things that people say about Christians. Many of them are downright derogatory. You can't let that bother you. The same way I shared with you a few weeks ago about police officers. When a police officer goes out there, the way that I did many years ago, and they start cursing you, they start saying bad things about you, talking about your mother and everything else, as they are angrily defending their actions in breaking laws, but yet you're the problem then. And then you could see that same person the next day who didn't remember that you were a policeman. Hey, how you doing? Have a good day. They're not mad at you. They hate what you represent. And remember, Jesus is what the, the name above all names that they disdain. So they're disdaining what you and I represent. And we've got to be careful. And as a matter of fact, if you take offense to those or, or battle taking offense to it, I'd encourage you to do something. Pray about it. God I struggle with defending when someone says that they think I'm foolish, they think I'm crazy because I'm a Christian, and how could you be so weak-willed and weak-minded? Start praying about it. God, don't let me take offense to those things because in my haste to defend someone calling me that, I could shut a door of opportunity that you have opened for me. God, prepare me to be cursed. Prepare me to be talked bad about, talked behind my back, whatever it is, Father, let me recognize that they're not talking about me. They're talking about what I represent in you, Father. Give me the ability to gracefully take that and use that as an avenue for ministry and an avenue with opportunity because here Festus truly believed Paul was crazy. Paul had what? Studied too much. Too much study. By the way, you know that can happen? Anybody know in another place in Scripture that it references that? Ecclesiastes. Be careful. Careful, paraphrasing. Careful of too much wisdom. Don't be, don't be overly wise. Romans chapter 1. Though they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God. There you go, read it. Read it for yourself. Though they claimed to be wise, they became fools. We've got to be careful because We become overly wise in our own eyes, in our own minds. And that's what Festus believed was happening with Paul. Too much study had driven Paul crazy. But again, the world will think we're crazy. And then listen to verse 28 and 29. Then Agrippa said to Paul, are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? I wish before God, replied Paul, that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you but all who listen to me today might become as I am, except 
for these chains. Leads to the second thing that I want to share with you this morning, and it is this. If you desire to lead others to Christ, is it happening? If you desire, if you say that in your mind, you know, oh man, I'd just love to, to lead people to Christ. Is it happening? Meaning, are you engaging, I even shared with you last week, if you haven't been engaging opportunities, I, it's been really awesome because as I've been, as God has had me highlight this over the last number of weeks, I've had some of you come to me and say, you know, it was so awesome hearing the stories about how you've been able to have conversations with people that you haven't had before. You know how encouraging that is to me? It's not encouraging to me because, oh, look, look what I've done. No, it's nothing to do with me. It has to do with you getting excited about what you are as a Christian and what you possess. Good news. And you're excited enough about that and you want to be obedient enough where you are taking advantage of opportunities now to minister to other people and to share your story. And it's so awesome as I hear these, you guys come and share this because it encourages me to see that your passion for others is now translating into not just talk, obedience. Do you think that these encounters have no merit and they're, they're, they're a waste of time? No, absolutely not. The opposite. These are amazing blessings that God has gifted us with that will result ultimately is every person going to listen and, and every person come to faith in Christ? You look at the odds, possibly not. But let me tell you one thing. What if you share with four people and one of them become followers of Christ? It matters to that person, doesn't it? But you know what you've also done? You've also not made the decision for the other three. Because when we make the decision for them by going, you know, it's, it's socially awkward and I just... You know, I know they're not going to listen to me because they're those kind of people. They, they just don't listen to anybody about anything. I could be giving away a lottery ticket that was worth a billion dollars and they wouldn't take it. They're, the, they're those kind of people. So I, there's no reason to say I know what they're going to do. Well, what you've done is you've explained away your disobedience and what you've done is made the decision for a person. God forbid that we do that. Let them be the one that bears the full weight and responsibility for their rejection spiritually. As a matter of fact, Ezekiel chapter 3, uh, we talked about it in Sunday school, verses 18 through, I think, 21, but verse 18 and 19 says, If I say to the wicked person, you will surely die, but you do not warn him, you don't speak out to warn him about the wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person will die for their iniquity, yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. But if you warn a wicked person and he does not turn from his wickedness or his wicked way, he will die for his iniquity, but you will have saved your life. Sin, what is sin that leads unto death? Dying lost. Not knowing the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. You mean we'd be held accountable? Absolutely. We have their blood on our hands. If you and I hold the gift of salvation, the keys to the good news, just what we talked about last week, and we fail to share that with them, we are culpable. We are guilty. If that person dies lost and we were supposed to share with them what God has done in our life, why would we not be held responsible? We have their blood 
on our hands. Here you go. Let's say you found out that there is a house that has a shotgun behind the door. And you know those old things where they have the string going across the thing and when you open the door, the shotgun goes off and kills them? Let's just say that you knew that there was a house like that with a shotgun behind the door and you call the police department and say, hey, I think there's some suspicious activity going on in that house. You might want to check it out. But you don't tell them because you think that maybe they'll think that it was you that put that there. So you don't say anything about that and they open the door and a series of events that would proceed to happen, happen. And they find out that you know that. What would happen to you? If not an accessory, you're guilty. You've had the blood on your hands. You had knowledge that would have prevented someone from losing their life, and you failed to share that. By the way, that's just one little small event. If the person was a believer, they've lost nothing. They are going from this broken world to true life. But spiritually, when a person dies lost and without hope, they're going from what, right? Everybody says, oh, it's like hell on earth here. I've lived through it. Excuse me? You don't even have a clue. Hell is the absence of every good and perfect thing. It's the separation from God and every good and perfect thing God ever intended for humanity to experience. It's complete isolation and complete loneliness and complete darkness and the absence of everything. There is no hope. There is no oxygen. There is no water. There is no life. There is no end. Well, then why don't you just die? Because you're in a body then that God promised all of us would have one day, and it's a body that will not and cannot die. So you're in a place that's inhospitable, but you're in a perfected body. The problem with that is, is that the body living in that condition suffers the effects of that condition, but can't die. That is why when we start to conceptually grasp what that place is that people understand of hell, when you see it from that perspective, it should light a fire under you now, spiritually speaking, to say, I don't want any person that I ever rub shoulders with or I ever know not to know the hope of salvation and them be culpable in their own decision whether they accept or reject. Because I can't imagine, people always say, you know, well, that person did this, and they I don't want anybody to go there. I don't care the people who've hurt me more than anybody's ever hurt me emotionally, physically, or anything in my lifetime. No one, I don't want anyone to ever walk off into a godless eternity. No one. Why? Because what they've done to me, there is the gift of salvation and the gift of forgiveness that forgives them, and I likewise know what Scripture says in the Lord's Prayer alone. Lord, forgive me as I forgive others, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So I know that there is no ability for me to hold any malice or unforgiveness against anybody who's hurt me because I know to be doing that would limit the forgiveness that I would experience, amen? And I want them to undergo the regenerative work of salvation because nothing more. I'm what they are apart from God's restraining grace. Amen? There's nothing that you or I is not capable of, and that's why I want that gift of forgiveness and what God can do in them like he has in me. I want them to experience it because once they have truly experienced the regenerative work of salvation, then they have the ability not to, 
to harm, hurt, or victimize others like they have until then. And it's only by God's grace that every single one of us today had not had the person that shared Christ with us. Us came to the knowledge of the truth and what? The blinder's been taken off of us. It's only by God's grace. And I rejoice in that gift of salvation today and what God's done. And I want others to experience that because I am well aware of what it felt like before I was a follower of Christ. I know what it's like to feel hopeless. Anybody else? Anybody else know what it's like carrying the weight of sin on your heart? It's like a thousand pound truck you don't even know you have until you come to saving faith in Jesus. And it's like, wow, I had no idea I was carrying this weight. What a gift. What a gift that God gives us. He does it freely. I can't, it, it, honestly, it's conceptually, it blows my mind because it is so simple, but yet really so complex. Why do we run from this thing called salvation in a sense? I don't know. We just do. And I guess that's the broken part and the broken heart that we have, the sinful heart that we're born with. Because we don't want to submit to anything, right? Especially in our culture now. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. If I get a ticket, I'm going to hire some good attorneys to get me out of it because, well, it's because of this or it's because of that. Everybody wants to excuse away culpability or the, the actions that led them to where they're at. Well, if, if they hadn't done that to me, I wouldn't have done this. And if, if they didn't have this extremely unreasonable hour to ask me to come to work in the morning at 7 a.m., God forbid I would have been there on time. But that unreasonable request that they've asked me to do, remember, in school I didn't have to be there until 8 o'clock. What's wrong with them? All these excuses, though, for why people don't do what they should do, many people do that with salvation. And the sad part about it is, I think, the true grasping the ramifications of that in some people's lives never happens until one singular moment in eternity happens for them. It's when their heart ceases to beat in the agonizing reality of what has just happened. That's why I see that in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. He had everything the rich man did. Lazarus had nothing. Sores, poverty, knew nothing but rejection, but knew the gift of salvation. He lived in agony in this life. The rich man in luxury. See, he didn't need anybody. He had everything he wanted at his disposal. But in one singular moment, Lazarus and the rich man were both transported into eternity. And we know from the scripture that the rich man was taken to torment because he needed no one. He didn't believe that preaching stuff, that gospel stuff, that truth stuff, which Lazarus had because that's all he had. And yet here in a moment's time, this rich man is asking that a finger be dipped in water. This is, by the way, this isn't the, this, this, not one day's passed, moments have passed. And he's asking for a finger to be dipped in water and to be touched to his tongue. He said, for I am in agony. And what, it's this great chasm between us that cannot be traversed. 
Do you know how many days I wake up in the mornings and think about that rich man? Does anybody else? You do? Yeah. I don't know why that story sticks out at me so much, and it's one of the things that motivates me to share my story when God gives opportunity to. Because as I wake up every morning, I cannot even fathom the 2,000 plus years that have passed since that event happened. There's no morning there. There's no hope that tomorrow may be better, that there may be a stop to this, that something may change. There is no night, there's no day. It is absolute loneliness, soulless. I actually was talking with somebody this morning about it and how people, remember in the 70s and the 80s, those of you who were around, remember how the music really referenced hell being a place where we go party. Where drinking and drugs and alcohol and all of these illicit behaviors occur and heavens where you sit back on clouds with harps and that just doesn't sound good in that mindset. And I know people who actually believe that. Yeah, heartbreaking. Think about that. Just that lie alone. If anybody buys that and believes that that is true, they can believe that, but what is reality? Reality is something quite different. The way the rich man experienced in that moment, having everything and anyone and anything at his disposal to instantaneous separation from everything in this life, in this time in history, to a place where he got exactly what his will was. C.S. Lewis, remember saying, concerning eternity and salvation, either we say in this life, Lord, thy will be done, or in death. Hey, God would never send anybody there. He doesn't. You send yourself. God merely says, thy will be done. God merely gives man when he rejects the gift of salvation God is only giving someone what they have asked for. It is the gift of God, the free gift of God, that can be accepted or rejected. We don't have to believe it. I don't have to, but you don't have to. Paul is passionate about this. Remember, the very man who was killing Christians because they were Christians... He was deluded and warped in his rejection of Christ Jesus. Then on the road to Damascus, came to the faith in Jesus Christ. As Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He came to the faith. He came to truth. He recognized it, accepted it, walked away that day, transformed. Until the day he died, followed and lived out the Father's will. It is this morning the same choice you and I have to accept the good news of the gospel truth and the gift of life. We don't have to, but we can sit in there and arrogantly say, I don't believe what that redneck country, whatever you want to preface it with. Not going to hurt my feelings, by the way. Uh, What is that narrow-minded Bible basher? I've heard so many things, you know, but it doesn't. It doesn't affect me because I care, I love, and I want nothing more than to hear the good stories down the road when either you do come to Christ and I'm able to hear the stories about how someone came here one time and said, listen, I couldn't stand you. That's okay. That's a badge of honor because as long as you come to faith in Jesus Christ, I don't care what happens. Amen? My heart will ache and my heart will break, though, if you don't come to faith in Jesus Christ because I know from the Scripture and from all that we know, there is only an expectation of divine judgment and God merely giving us our will when we reject it. 
Paul knows this, and this is why he's so passionate about it. What does Paul gain out of this? Does Paul, is it network marketing at its finest? Is this Amway 101 where Paul's going to get a part of the, when they start, he gets this big, and the next thing you know, he's at the top of the pyramid, and he's making a killing. No. He's literally being beaten, locked up, spit on. Any and everything you could imagine, we're going to see shortly in the next few weeks, he's shipwrecked, bitten by a poisonous snake that should have killed him, going and doing unreasonable from the world's perspective things for a concept and a philosophy. No, it's for truth. That's what's so profound. See, if you're desirous to lead others to Christ, is it happening? It's going to be happening ultimately if you are doing what you've been commanded and we've been commanded to do when we're sharing our story. doesn't mean that you have to go and rent out an auditorium and, and, and do the, the bait and switch, give out free gas cars to get somebody to come in. You don't have to do some weird stunts. You just have to be obedient and let God lead us. But live a life that Paul did. What is that? Merely walking through the doors that God opens. God takes the, ex- the ordinary and he does the extraordinary. It's what it means to be a follower of Christ. Doesn't mean that the more people you're in front of, does that mean you're more effective? No, 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 no. Doesn't. Just because you have an, an audience, preacher, y'all don't have that many people out there at Longview now. I know churches around that, that, that around have, hey man, they're preaching all over the world and they've got to have so much more of an effective ministry. You can call it whatever you want to. I'll be obedient and do what God's called me to in this little cornfield, and God can do more in that than the prideful arrogance of self-exaltation. And I hope that all the, the motives are right in things and ministries and to God be the glory. And I hope that everybody that's doing it has the right everything. But I know one thing, God's put me here. And I know that God can do right here what he can't do if I disobediently go out and buy myself a jet because I think that God wants me to go and fly all over the world and preach to people. No, God wants me to be right here. So it doesn't matter what we might think success is based on. And you might say, you know, what's wrong with Paul? If Paul had stopped running his mouth so much or whatever he was doing and and he could have stayed and continued to minister until he became an old man and died an old man. That wasn't God's call for him. Matter of fact, God told him he'd die. He'd die where? Rome. He knew that. And that was not enough to stop him. Why was it not enough? Because he cared about people coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's what mattered. This morning, is that your passion? Is that your heart? Listen to verses 30 through 32 again. So the king, the governor, Bernice, and those sitting with them got up. When they had left, they talked with each other and said, This man is doing nothing that deserves death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been released if he had not appealed to Caesar. Third and final thing I want to share with you this morning is this. Let vindication be from the Lord. As Paul's ministry here is going on. Remember, we've seen this repetitively over and over. Accusations of things that, by the way, the accusers couldn't even get their story straight. 
One person says this, the other one says that. One of the things that was the continual is that these lies, they couldn't even get their story straight. But what was straight every time? Paul's testimony about the gospel. And what did God do every time? God vindicated him. Did Paul get up there and say, listen, I've, I've done nothing wrong from day one, right? Anytime they'd accuse me of something, I don't know what your problem is. I care nothing more than for you to come to saving faith in the Lord and this ridiculous behavior that you guys continue to do, accusing me, all of you are reprobates and you should be ashamed of yourselves. He didn't do that. What did he do? He testified to the gospel truth. He didn't try to vindicate himself. That was not his position. And by the way, that's not ours. Our biblical mandate is to defend the truth of the gospel. Who will vindicate us? God will. Doesn't matter what they accuse us of. What about Joseph? Who will vindicate you? God will. What about Daniel? Who will vindicate you? God will. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who will vindicate you? God will. By the way, I could do this for the next 45 minutes and opine about people in Scripture that God vindicated because there is a litany of people, a mass of people in Scripture that God vindicated. There's also numerous stories of ones that tried to vindicate themselves and it didn't work well. It didn't go well. If you and I let God be God, I promise you, he does a really good job at doing what he does. He is ever faithful. He will do exactly what scripture says, exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Ephesians 3.20. And you know what? It's in accordance with Romans 8, 38 and 39. Highest more depth, angels, principalities, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This morning, the, the overarching question for each and every one of us today is, are you crazy for truth? Are you willing to be labeled one of those crazy Jesus people? Jesus freaks. We could go on and on with this one after another after another. Are you willing to be crazy about the truth, knowing that the truth is the unchanging truth that is the same yesterday, today, and forever? The same truth that comforts you and I in the midst of affliction, brokenness, little, much. The same truth that consistently and the same God that has been faithful. Love that hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. We sang it on Pastor Appreciation Day. It's one of my, one of my favorites. Great is Thy Faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, Thy hand hath provided. Great is Thy faithfulness, Lord, unto Thee. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature and manifold witness to thy great mercy, grace, and love. Great is thy faithfulness. When it goes on, it goes on because it's such a profound truth that him speaks to the faithfulness of God. No matter what we face, no matter what we will face, this is what we do know. We don't know what lies ahead. We don't know the phone call that comes tomorrow. Most of us have sadly experienced that in ways we don't ever want to repeat in, in conversation. 
but what is the resounding truth in the midst of those? Great is thy faithfulness. Horatio Spafford, having lost most of his family, we know what hymn he wrote. Anybody? And peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Is it well with your soul today? That's my closing question. I can with full assurance tell you this morning that it was well with Paul's soul because he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God had placed him in front of an audience that was impossible. He didn't care what length he had to go to as long as it was, was in truth to see them come to faith in Jesus Christ where some people might have said, you know what, they've lived in luxury They've lived with all of the trappings of everything that someone ever could have wanted. I want to go to the broke, but I don't want anything to do with the leadership. Paul didn't care. He wanted to share it with everybody because he knew that that was the only hope that anybody had. He knew what it was like to be a man raised with privilege, and that's what Paul was, a man that was raised and educated by the most godly of people at the time before Christ. And what, what did that get him? That got him missing the boat of salvation through Jesus Christ, following law, rejecting what the scripture had spoke all throughout history saying was coming. And my question to you this morning is, the good news of the gospel, the good news to you, or is it the very thing that will one day condemn you because you do things your way. You do things mom's way, dad's way, grandmother, grandpa's way. I don't care what anybody does, I want truth. If the truth that I come to find in God's word is at contradiction with my parents, I want to be in contradiction to my parents because, brothers and sisters, I want truth because truth will stand the test of time. That's what truth does. Truth never leaves you. Truth doesn't forsake you. And though culture may change, people may change, situations may change, truth never changes because it's Absolute. What does absolute mean? It doesn't change. By the way, truth is rooted in the character of God. What do we know about the character of God? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you're standing on truth right now, and let's just say you're 80 years old, you know that the truth 80 years ago is the same truth right now, and it's the same truth that another a thousand years from now, if God so tarries, will be the same truth that is applicable then. And I hope this morning that you're ready. Your faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I hope you dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name because on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And my question to you is, I hope when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may you then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. And I just close with that question. Are you anchored in the solid rock of Christ Jesus? Not in religion. Religion will send you faster to a place separated from God than anything else. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ that brings life, brings forgiveness, 
brings hope to the hopeless. And if not, I want to challenge you during the invitation time. If you know this morning or, or battling, what would happen right now if I breathe my last breath? Listen closely. What would happen? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt right now, I can't tell you the number of people that I hear about being in medical. I hear stuff all the time, right? I don't know what happened. They, were, they, they just fell over dead. They were 52 years old, 55. They were 40. They were 30. They were 20. They were 60. They were in perfect health. One of my friends just gone to the cardiologist, got a clean bill of health a few years ago. Drop, smack, dead. Never smoked. Never drank. Matter of fact, he'd get on me when we went to eat lunch together because he wanted me to eat healthier. He'd always eat those really healthy sandwiches and low-fat diet, all these things. We don't know. But let me ask you that. If today you're at Vanderbilt on a slab tonight at 9 o'clock, the moment you breathe your last breath, my question to you is you stand in front of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, what are you going to hear? Well done, thou good and faithful servant, end your rest, or would your statement be, I don't, I, Brother Jonathan, I really don't, I hope, I hope isn't good enough. I think is not good enough. There's only one thing I want to hear from you, and is I know. And I want you to say I know with full assurance, because if not, I'd do any, I beg you, whether easily or tough, I want you to know the truth of the gospel, but most importantly, I want you to know the love of Jesus Christ that is the gift of salvation. I want you to know the time that you drew the line in the sand and turned from the direction you were going to the life-giving truth of God, his word, placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sin. And I want you to be able to share with those people you talk to about the day that you were lost, but now you are found. You were blind, but now you see. And if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you will be able to tell me the day that you profess. You might not know that it was October, whatever date, 22nd, 15th, but you're going to go, it was a spring, I'll never forget it, 1994 or 2003, blah, blah, blah. You're going to be able to say, I remember the day that I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I'll never forget it. But if you don't know that, I want to talk to you. And I mean that because it's important. If you don't know when Jesus Christ saved you, there's a high likelihood that that encounter, that transaction's not occurred. Because I promise you, I can't forget the day that Jesus saved me. It was so transformative. I will never forget him lifting that weight of sin, that guilt, and that shame off my heart. And I want you to understand when you feel that, you will never forget it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart and today you would like to make him not only the savior, but the Lord of your life. First, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a savior, and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to pay for your sin. Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and Savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, 
and you want to live for him. I pray today if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be, and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.